Are you feeling stuck, lost, tired, or uninspired? We've all been there, including myself. I'm Coach Des, mindset motivator and lifestyle entrepreneur. I'm here to tell you that the best, unapologetic, and limitless version of yourself is yet to come. The Born Unbreakable podcast is here to inspire just that. With motivating guests from all different walks of life and around the world, their stories will empower you to unlock abundance and your unbreakable spirit. Do you need accountability? Reach out to me for a free consultation of how I can support you in reaching your maximum potential. This episode is brought to you by Korma Date Coffee, the healthy alternative to coffee. This delicious date coffee has the health benefits of giving you natural energy, antioxidants, vitamins, minerals, and fiber. Best of all, Korma is caffeine-free. No jitters, no anxiety, and no afternoon crash. Go to KormaCafe.com, that's K-O-R-M-A-C-A-F-E.com, and enter discount code BORNUNBREAKABLE at checkout to get 10% off your order. Hello, hello, everyone. We're here at the Born Unbreakable podcast. I'm so excited to be here today, and I'm thrilled about the guest that I have, Ben Ahrens. He is the CEO and founder of Reorigin. We're going to learn a little bit more about what that is, but Ben has a really incredible story. And he has a TED Talk that I want you to go and watch because it is going to inspire you. But back in 2008, he was actually in Senegal surfing, which is a passion that he has, but it was a little bit different this time. He had an experience where he started to not feel his body and something was wrong. And in that time, he found out that he actually had a neurological Lyme disease that he had to learn a lot more about. And obviously, over the last 14 years, it's been a journey to figure out what all of that is. And I just am so happy, Ben, to have you here today to share more about your journey and what that has led you to in terms of what you're doing to not only help your own situation, but to help many others. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Of course. And thank you so much for having me. Yeah. It's interesting how these, these journeys, you know, happen. And then in retrospect, we can sort of realize the, the gift, although challenging as it might be when you're going through it and hard as it is to sort of touch base with the fact that this is a gift, uh, certainly afterwards, as I'm sure we'll get into. Um, yeah. What I learned as a result of that experience has just been incredible. So I'm excited to be here. Yeah. But, you know, one of, one of the things that I'm just struck by is how quickly life can change yes. in, in, in a moment. You know, you, you have this routine, you have this confidence about what you're doing every day. And, and all of a sudden, you know, when you're, when you're struck with something like a, an illness or a disease, all of a sudden your whole routine is, is off kilter. So if you could take me back to, to 2008 and, and share what you experienced when, you know, you were doing what you love and, and all of a sudden things took a bit of a turn. Let's start there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'll just say, you know, leading up to that, uh, that I was very 
deeply steeped in the world of health and fitness. I was a fitness trainer and um, that had really been my whole you know, life at that time and was writing a, a column for a health newspaper and just everything that I was doing, speaking about the way I was living was all about health. And so in that moment that you described, I was in West Africa and sometimes as it happens when you're traveling, you become jet lagged or eat something that doesn't agree with you. But this time was, as you pointed out, a little bit different um, where this experience I had losing touch with the feeling of my body and then having these weird pains and then having that evolve into extreme fatigue and brain fog to the point where I couldn't, you know, see things properly. I couldn't even uh, see my shoes on the floor. Um, and as I mentioned in the talk, once I did realize what they were, I couldn't even figure out how to tie them or, you know, just my mind was in every kind of way playing tricks on me. So I realized after this was going on for weeks and then turning into months that this was not just run of the mill <laughs> fatigue that comes with, with travel. And, you know, to my own sort of horror slash embarrassment, um, I had kind of lost the one thing that I identified with most, which was health. So this began a long journey, which ended up taking several years to kind of untangle what was happening to me. And um, after many, many different tests and doctor's visits, it turned out to be a case of neurological Lyme disease, which is a problem in the Northeast, especially where I live. Uh, it's usually transmitted through a tick, which is these small little insects, essentially. They transmit this bacterial infection that a lot of people get, but most people either uh, don't even realize they have it. They don't have, you know, they have very mild symptoms um, and they usually tend to get over it quickly. But there are some people for which, and as we'll get into a little bit more when this combines with, you know, life stress and a lot of other things, maybe, you know, immune system is a little bit uh, suppressed. This can go into the central nervous system and this infection can actually get into your brain. And when it does that, it essentially short circuits the nervous system. And Lyme disease is known as the great imitator because it mimics a lot of different conditions like multiple sclerosis, which I was diagnosed with. So like degenerative neurological problems. It also mimics and causes uh, symptoms of uh, autoimmune disorder, can be anything ranging from, you know, food intolerances, hypersensitivities to um, irritable bowel syndrome to um, rheumatoid arthritis, which is something that I had also at age 25. So it basically, it's very, very difficult for doctors to address because it really impacts each person very differently, depending on genetics, on past exposures and a wide range of different things. It can express itself completely differently from one person to the other. But in my case, it was definitely a lot of different symptoms, uh, a lot of time that it took to, to untangle it. And, um, yeah, we can we can kind of take it from there. But now, you know, after after many years, uh, I'm happy to say that it's I'm 100 percent healthy and over it. And we can talk certainly about how that uh, came to be. Wow. That's I think the the most fascinating thing about this is the fact that it's difficult to diagnose quickly. Right. There's there's certain things that people hear about and, you know, within a matter of a few weeks, or, or, or maybe a little bit longer, they figure out, okay, this is what's going on and this is what we have to do about it. I only know one good friend of mine um, who has a cousin that has Lyme disease. And, and the only thing I really knew about it 
was the part that you described where it took a while to figure out what it was, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and so what, you know, in, in terms of anybody who either has knows a little bit about it, is there, is there anything that is common that gets somebody closer to figuring out that it's Lyme disease and not something else? So there are different criteria. Most of the way they diagnose it is actually by um, clinical evaluation. There are tests that they can take, you know, um, antibodies tests, um, a number of different kinds and different laboratories, all with varying results and degrees of success. I think the the accuracy of these tests is not certainly not a hundred percent. So, you know, there's basically a sort of assessment that that people would do that a functional medicine doctor would say, okay, do you have brain fog? Do you have, you know, fatigue? Do you have all these different things? And then if you have those plus the antibodies, it's probably a a clear indication that that Lyme could be playing a a part, at least in in how you feel, um, if not entirely. But the challenging thing and, and kind of different thing with Lyme is that most of the time with other health issues, once you get a diagnosis, it's kind of like this sigh of relief, like, oh, good. Now I know what's wrong right. with me, right? Because <laughs> normally when we know what's wrong, at least our conventional understanding of, of medicine and health is that, well, now we know what to do about it. But Lyme is a little bit different. It's it's much more complicated than that. And even to the point where when people actually get a diagnosis, in some cases, it's a little bit worse because now it's very unclear where to go from there for for most people. So yeah, that was certainly and, the case for me. And so that that's totally like I have all these questions rushing to me, but I think the the most practical one are, is two well, two I guess two parts. One is what you do about it. You know, what what are the steps that you would take if once you have been diagnosed to know that you can manage it. But then the second piece is like you just mentioned, you're hundred percent healthy. Is there, is there an end in sight? Is it something that you overcome? Is it something that you have to manage forever? What does that look like? Yeah. So, you know, because Lyme is so uh, expresses itself so differently to, to different people, um, it can be hard to, to, to address, but I just want to pause for a moment and just give people hope if, if they've experienced anything like this or know anyone who might be going through it, that um, as complicated as it might seem, there's absolutely a way out. That was certainly my experience and not only mine, but now, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of other people and patients that I've met who have been in the same or even worse scenarios than, than myself. So I just want people to know that um, even if, if it might not be clear, there's absolutely a way to, to recover from this. And for me, it involved trial and error at first. It involved going to a lot of different doctors and trying a lot of different uh, therapies and modalities. Um, But ultimately what it came down to was the understanding of how the brain interfaces with the body. One of the things that I found really interesting, if I can even say fascinating while I was going through this, um, was the way people respond so differently to the same types of infections. And we're seeing this right now, right? With, with COVID, you know, one person gets it, they get extremely sick, have to even go to the hospital, end up on a ventilator or something. Whereas another person, maybe even the same age gets it and doesn't even exhibit symptoms or just has a very mild fever and it passes in two days. So we know this from just statistically and how they've studied different viruses and the immune system that uh, statistically, even if a common cold, cold virus, let's say breezes through a room of 10 people, uh, about three people will get sick and symptomatic from it. That leaves the other seven to basically, you know, 
respond in a, in a completely different way. So Lyme disease is very much the same thing. As I mentioned, you know, a lot of people get it uh, by some estimations as high as 40% of people in the Northeast get this bacterial infection. And in fact, my stepfather always tests positive for, for Lyme, but has never had symptoms. So only a certain number of people, smaller number of people actually become symptomatic from it. So when I started to learn this, my what, what I found interesting was okay, it can't just be what's happening to you, what's coming at you from the environment. There has to be this other element of how and why your body responds to that thing. And at first it sounded a little bit, you know, confusing or, or daunting to kind of wrap my head around, but actually the deeper I got into this, the more I realized that this was actually hugely empowering because if other people could have their body respond in a less reactive way, then maybe there was something I could do to retrain my body or to teach my body how to not overreact to it, how to not produce symptoms, and essentially how to calm down, which I now you know, later learned actually reduces the inflammatory response and reduces symptoms downstream. So that led me down this journey, this kind of rabbit hole of studying the immune system, coming to this field co called a PNI or psychoneuroimmunology, which is a big fancy term for basically saying how stress affects the immune system. Um, and then ultimately finding my way to a field known as neuroplasticity, which is to say that you can actually change your own brain um, by doing certain exercises, and that can change the function of your immune system downstream. Wow. It's amazing to hear your story and your passion and commitment to health. It's that you've always had that in doing fitness and doing surfing. It's been a staple in your life. And now you've gone into depth, you know, <laughs> to learn even more about the body and neurology and how different parts of our bodies connect and work with each other. So then tell me about reorigin. How did we get there? Yeah. So Reorigin is a neuroplasticity training program. It's essentially a video course that people can take online um, in addition to a community and offers coaching as well. Um, and it's essentially something called self-directed neuroplasticity. So this is brain training exercises or changes that you can make to your own brain without having to go to a clinic, without having to use some fancy equipment or anything, but just by actually doing exercises in your own home, you can change your own stress response. So obviously this, you know, my inroad into this was my own experience and fascination with it. Um, in the eight years that followed my, my recovery, um, I went deeper in that direction to learn more about this because I was so uh, kind of enthralled by how this worked in my own body. So I ended up working with this company called Innovative Medicine, uh, learned from different doctors and neuroscientists from all over the world. We were basically putting on medical seminars to show them uh, alternative methods of healing. And um, out of that experience grew this uh, uh, panel of scientists called the Brain Trust. And out of that has come Reorigin, which is this, this program, uh, which now essentially teaches people to do uh, similar things to what I did to regain my own my own health. That's incredible. Talking about going down that rabbit hole, I mean, you developed something really, really amazing. So, what are what are some of the examples that somebody would like? What what's a common exercise or two that somebody might do to retrain their brain? 
Yeah. Well, you know, first, maybe I'll start with what some of the common conditions are that mm -hmm. um, would apply to people who might find some benefit from, from reorigin. So mm -hmm. obviously, you know, my experience was with Lyme disease, but as we mentioned, Lyme is kind of this great imitator. And it's, it's also a bit of an umbrella term that a lot of people who have Lyme find themselves with anxiety, with depression, because things get stirred up in the brain, the brain gets depleted of some key uh, resources that, you know, like serotonin and dopamine that make us feel good. Um, so people might be coming from a lot of different places. It could it could feel like chronic anxiety or depression, or it could express in the form of a more physical ailment, in the form of hypersensitivities or chemical sensitivities. Um, again, even uh, an infection like Lyme disease or long haul COVID now would be a good example. But it's really anything where people have tried perhaps a conventional way of going about it, but their body might just seem stuck in this feedback loop. Something really common that we hear from uh, from our members at Reorigin are that uh, they say, I feel like I just blew a fuse. You know, I feel like I just got stuck in in overwhelm. And now my my mind is producing all these, you know, overthinking. It feels like I'm over revving, like I'm stepping on the gas pedal and I just can't let off. And it feels like my body is just kind of stuck in this fight or flight mode. So it turns out that when someone has experienced any sort of traumatic event or illness or anything that's gone on for a long time, um, that this part of the brain called the limbic system, which is responsible for your like threat detection and response, um, basically the survival part of the brain, it can actually get stuck in sort of like the on position and it can start to over classify things as threats that are actually benign. So one example of this would be like foods and developing food sensitivities. So we know that the, the issue, again, it's not only the thing in the environment, it's also why your body is responding. Because if it was only the environment, then every person on the planet would have a peanut allergy. But we know that that's not the case. So there has to be something, some other level of what's happening here. So, you know, anyone who's experiencing this sort of hypervigilant response often coincides with anxiety, depression. Um, they might really benefit from, from an approach like this that really gets to the root of the cause, which is stemming from an overactivity in that region of the brain called the limbic system. And we've found that by actually retraining your brain, by calming it down, um, you can essentially calm that stress response, which again, reduces inflammation throughout the body and allows your body to do what it naturally does, which is to heal. Wow. That's amazing. And I know in your TED talk, you start with breathing. Yeah. So you asked about, you know, some examples of what does this look like or someone who's found themselves in this kind of scenario, you know, where would they get started? Right. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a few different components to it. But when, when we talk about what I like to call doing neuroplasticity, that's to say, you know, changing your own brain, it really comes down to a few simple things. It comes down to changing your response to um, to stress. So what, you know, one example I gave in the, in the Ted talk was, uh, taking a deep breath. So found myself getting very wound up and triggered over my own thoughts, essentially, you know, thinking about, uh, the meaning, the, the mind is also kind of like this meaning making machine that, you know, animals also, um, experience stress, but the difference between humans and animals is that once the stressor passes, the animal, like a dog, for instance, will shake it off and they'll get kind of back into that settled 
you know, healthy state. Whereas humans, we have this unique ability for better or for worse. We can think about things. We can ruminate things, right? Too we much. can actually too much. We can anticipate negative outcomes that may or may not most of the time don't happen. So, and the interesting thing is when you start to look at how the brain interacts with the body is that uh, I think Zig Ziglar put it really well by saying that the, the brain can't tell the difference between what's real and what's vividly imagined. Example being, you know, if anyone who's listening to this, just take a moment to think about your favorite food, you know, really, really vividly imagine it like it's right in front of you. Imagine that you're getting ready to take a bite of whatever that food is, see it there. So if you really go down that road, you'll find that in probably just a few seconds, you'll start to salivate. Now, the food isn't actually there. You're not even going to eat it. It's, you know, it's just in your mind, but the body and its chemistry starts to actually reorganize itself in anticipation of that thought or that reality, whether it comes or not. Most of the time, however, without our conscious permission, the thing that we're anticipating is usually a negative outcome. So we're anticipating, what if this gets worse? What if I can't get better? You know, what if this scenario you know, what if this happened? What if I lose my job? All these things, the mind just creates this and there's a good reason for it. It doesn't mean you're, you're broken or there's anything wrong. It's actually means that you're a healthy human being because the brain evolved to keep you safe. So we even have a, a term for it. It's called the negativity bias, meaning that the brain preferentially seeks out things to sort of, you know, freak out about <laughs> because it thinks that that's the way that we protect ourselves. The problem is that when we overly focus on these, these negative things, it creates stress in the body. So getting back to my own example, I sort of became aware of the fact that yes, it was true that I had, you know, symptoms and, and pain in my body and everything, but there was this meta level of, of thing that was happening. There was this additional layer where my mind was starting to create these stories of, oh, this means I'll never walk again. I'll never travel on that, you know, all these things. And that just produced more stress, more inflammation, more symptoms, and this kind of vicious cycle where I just kept going around until finally, I think involuntarily at first, it was just so exhausting that um, maybe some some higher wisdom within me just took this deep breath and and released. And I noticed that I felt a little bit calmer, a little bit better. It was like it was like backing up from that whole story that my mind was spinning up and creating this little tiny space. So. From that, I started to practice that intentionally. I started to practice it consciously. And I made these rules for myself, like whenever I realize that I'm, you know, anticipating these negative thoughts or, or stuck in these negative loops, I'm just going to pause and I'm going to take that deep breath. And I did this over and over and over again, hundreds of times a day. And um, slowly but surely, my body started to feel a little bit better. I started to regenerate, get a little bit more energy because less of my energy was being used up to entertain these, these, you know, uh, vigorous thought loops. And, um, then, you know, this evolved into a, a deeper practice that we can get into and what's become kind of the basis of reorigin. Um, but essentially it evolved into sort of a five-step routine that people can do to retrain their own brains and to do it with respect to your unique triggers. Because what's really um, important here for people to understand is that everyone responds differently to different different things. So there's no one size fits all um, approach that's going to work. And everyone has different 
what we call, you know, triggers or thoughts or uh, experiences that create that stress response. So for one person, it might be a physical substance like food or perfume, a chemical, or, or even, a, you know, Wi-Fi. Um, for another person, it could be remembering a past event, a traumatic event or something that happened. For someone else, it could be a neurological association that's been developed, you know, between uh, something in their environment or something they encounter on a regular basis um, and what they perceive as being stressful. So one example there might be, you know, common today, um, the email inbox, right? If someone is is used to kind of like getting up in a stressed out state and, and going through their, their email, then their email might be a stressor. But there's a way to train, to retrain your brain to disconnect that association between the email or the ringing phone or the past event or the anticipation of a future negative event. You can actually decouple that from your body's response to it so that you can be present with it. You can be present with the thing, again, whether it's a physical substance like a food or a perfume or a thought or an event, and you can remain calm in that state. And this allows your body again to do what it naturally does, which is to heal. So I think a really important thing about, you know, reorigin and this approach, this neuroplasticity approach is that by retraining the brain, we're not, we're not giving ourselves any, any ability that you don't already have. We're not making the healing happen. I always like to remind people who, who start this kind of program, your role as, as a healer is not to make the healing happen. Instead, your body already has everything it needs in order to heal itself. And if you don't believe me, if you've ever had a cut or a bruise or a paper cut and that wound is gone, then that simple proof that the body really heals itself. So instead, what we need to do is simply set the stage. It's to kind of clear the clutter, eliminate these old pathways, these old associations that have formed in the brain to keep you safe, to help you, but are now actually harming you in a way by by continuously over uh, exerting themselves. So um, yeah, that's a little bit of an overview. I know we went to a lot yeah. of different places there, yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, it's fascinating to me and it we develop these habits and neurological pathways that create these consistent things. Um, probably now more than ever, there's a number of things that if, if we think of making a list of stressors, we, we would be here forever. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's so many different things. So to, to, to create a program to help manage that and keep us um, to what I also think is a challenge, which is present because there's so many things that distract us from being right here in this moment, right now, fully appreciating and embracing it. I think this, this helps a lot. So with this, with this program, is it something that, um, I know you mentioned the five steps. So when you make this decision to join the community, go through this learning journey, what is that like? Is it, how long does it take to, to do this? I know you mentioned self-directed, so maybe it's just a little bit different for every person, but then even after, you know, you go through that practice, is it something that you, people decide that they're going to stay, you know, with this community or how, how does it, the process kind of work? Yeah. So, so, uh, we have it as a 30 day program. Um, because that encourages people to go through it with some momentum to really kind of learn the steps, 
put it to practice, and also give themselves some baselines. So when someone joins, um, they'll start off by watching the videos. Um, there's six sessions to go through that teach you uh, about the condition about whatever it is you're experiencing. We talk about a bunch of different different conditions, but really all of which are stemming from this root cause of this overactivity in the limbic system. Um, we then teach you how to do these steps of retraining your brain with respect to your unique triggers. Because like you mentioned, um, you know, we have long lists of, of triggers and stressors. And well, of course, at a time and to the extent we can, we want to limit the amount of stress in our life. We're also living in the world. And so the idea is not to safeguard ourselves against all possible stressors, right? It's to learn to be comfortable in their presence and to learn to be able to not just be comfortable, but, but to relax and even reframe it uh, from a threat to a challenge, which actually changes the body's physiology a lot in a positive way. Um, that's something we, we can get into. But when people start the program, so they'll learn these steps through these videos, they'll practice it three times a day. It just takes five to 10 minutes uh, to practice this, but they'll do it three times a day to really start to condition the brain and nervous system. Um, and there's also a community aspect. So people can you know, share their wins, share their experience, get inspiration and hope from others. It's really unlike a, a support group, which is more focused on the problem and maybe doing more research about it, we really encourage this community to stay focused on the solution. Like I mentioned actually in my TED talk, you know, it's very much like the first rule of defensive driving, which is never look at what you're trying to avoid. So, <laughs> you know, even though sure it might be true that in, you know, today you don't feel your best or you have certain, you know, certain challenges or, or symptoms, it's also true that um, the sun is shining outside and that you found your way to this community and that there's a lot of hope and um, a lot of, uh, a lot that you can do. So it's really, you know, focused on, uh, aimed at focusing on our abilities instead of any sort of limitations. That is very, uh, practical. There's a good reason for that, that this also starts to change, uh, the brain in a certain way out of that threat response, out of fight or flight and into the parasympathetic or rest and digest state. So everything we do, the way we've shaped the community, um, the way we've put together the, the program, the way we talk about it, the way we've designed it, everything is really about um, subtly or not so subtly retraining that brain to um, to co uh, calm the stress response and to um, basically come into a more relaxed and healthy, positive place. That's awesome. So how would people join this community, or if there's anybody listening that feels that they have experienced what you're describing, or maybe knows somebody who has, what are the steps to connect and reach out? Yeah. So, you know, joining is really simple for anyone that's been feeling this overwhelm, burnout, anxiety, depletion, depression, uh, or these more acute types of, of conditions. Um, you can simply go to reorigin.com. That's spelled out re-origin.com. And there you can, yeah, see if it resonates with you and, um, and you'll be able to join and start right away. Uh, one additional component that we have is that we also offer coaching. So this is weekly group coaching, again, really all aimed at, um, you know, creating an uplifting and supportive environment, uh, staying accountable, staying motivated, and really just practicing these, these exercises. So, um, you know, I really, I would say I, I really want people to think of this like exercise that 
it really is a, a matter of conditioning. I think so, so often we get caught in these sort of black or white uh, way of, of thinking that, you know, either you heal or you don't, or it worked or it didn't. But we know when we think about other things like exercise, that progress happens gradually and it happens as a, as a function of conditioning. So no one goes to the gym, does one workout and looks out and looks in the mirror and says, well, that didn't work, you know, or, oh yeah, that, that kind of worked. Um, instead we kind of understand that it's, it's this ongoing process. Um, but we also understand that when you do it, um, provided you're using the right technique and, you know, not over overdoing it or anything, um, that you can't help, but get, get results. So this is very much the same way. It's just, instead of conditioning or training our, our muscles, we're conditioning and training this muscle We're training the brain. So by simply showing up and doing these exercises, you know, one of the members recently said that having reorigin was like a roadmap, you know, exactly what to do and when to do it, um, at what times of day, but just by, you know, doing these simple exercises with repetition over and over again, your brain really has no choice, but to change. Um, and I think that can, you know, change a lot of, a lot of the, the downstream effects that, that people are experiencing. Yeah. And it, I mean, it really sounds like the applicability is pretty broad because it's, it's not necessarily that there is a, a specific condition, you know, that someone has, but, but maybe it is just, you know, over time feelings that have continued due to stressors that are in an environment and it's helping, um, just like you said, whether we're talking about health in terms of food and nutrition and the way our bodies feel because what we're consuming is different or whether it's fitness and what we're doing with our physical body is changing the ability for us to get stronger or run longer. Um, this is another <clears throat> focus area, <clears throat> like you mentioned, of our brain, um, where we can actually build the muscle better and stronger and more resilient. And I've always been fascinated by this because The more I hear people, doctors included, talk about the brain, it's one of these muscles that you could just probably like what you've done, go so far into understanding its intricacies and how much of it we actually use. You know, there was some statistic I think I heard where it's like, we only use, you know, X percentage of, of your brain. So actually learning about it, um, my, like my father, he passed away from a stroke when I was mm -hmm. nine years old. He was very young. He was only 40. Um, and since then, I've always been fascinated by health because my assumption at a really young age, I didn't know much, but I thought there's got to be things that we could do with our health and our mental wellness that can change the trajectory of how far we go with our minds and our bodies. I feel like I've discovered that to be true <laughs> over the past totally. years since that time. But, um, you know, and I wish that my dad had, you know, the longer time to kind of figure that out too. But um, it's, it's such a um, fascinating thing, you know, when we just take time to understand how we as a being operate and how we actually have the ability to optimize, you know, that. And I, you know, and I love one of the, <laughs> the sayings in your TED talk where it's like, you know, and, and, and maybe you mentioned this in, in some of our back and forth, but it's like turning lemons into lemonade mm. and, 
you know, and, and just this, this notion that we, there is hope even in, in the difficulties with this, in, with this thing that we're managing on a daily basis, our body, our soul, our mind, our brain, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that really fundamentally changed for me um, when I was starting to think about healing and recovery in a different way was when I stopped, paradoxical as it might seem, I stopped making recovery the goal. <laughs> I actually made the the training itself the goal, the exercise, like doing these things the goal. And so when you make that really subtle shift, kind of to your point, um, then whenever you experience a challenge, and in my case, it could be symptoms or it could be something, um, rather than getting further agitated, you know, from them, you can actually reframe them. And, and I started to see them each time as an opportunity to practice more brain training, right? So it was like, this good thing, of course, not that I wanted it, but in a way I would welcome it when it was there instead of trying to push it away. Um, I would see this as, as neuroplasticity gold, as something that I could actually use to, to practice this new technique on or this new thing on. Um, and, and doing that actually, you know, not only does it make us stronger, more resilient because we're, we're retraining the brain. Um, but I mentioned before, there's this difference between uh, a challenge response and a threat response. And the, there's, there's actually a real like physiological difference here where when you feel threatened, if, if you experience symptoms, or let's say you have a, even a com uncomfortable conversation with someone and you, you take it as a threat, um, the heart rate rate will increase, uh, pupils will dilate, all of these different things will change and, and start to happen in the body. But if you take that same event and you just internally reframe it for yourself and tell yourself and, and believe it, of course, you know that this is a challenge that's going to make you stronger instead of a threat that's going to make you weaker, then that actually changes the physiology. Stroke volume in the heart starts to increase. Um, you get a, a healthy stress response. So you might still get increase in blood flow and different things and, and similar types of feelings, but the, the response is actually what's called hermetic, which means that it um, causes you to adapt and grow, grow stronger as a result of experiencing it. Wow. That slight mindset shift that you said right there from threat to challenge, I think is huge. I've heard Simon Sinek, who is a yep. optimist, talk about this. Um, I think in one of the books that I've read from him and, um, I think what an example of exactly what you described is, let's say, at work. In a work environment, no matter what industry you're in, there's different innovative things that can happen, right? Or you can say if you're Nike and then you look at Adidas or if you're Kentucky Fried Chicken and there's Popeyes or, you know, whatever it is, you're not one by yourself in your industry. There's always yeah. innovation and there's always arguably competition right? And so it's a difference between seeing that new, you know, startup, you know, come up and seeing, seeing it as a threat or seeing it as a challenge to go, oh, wow, there's something I can learn from there. Oh, that's really interesting what they did there. It would be, it would be good for us to maybe rethink that or, you know, the posture of it changes depending on the perception that you have of whatever that is. And I think that's true. I mean, I, I use that because I think people can relate to things, uh, you know, with work, but I, there's lots of other examples in our lives um, that we could use. But it's it's this shift that totally changes everything from mm -hmm. 
like you, like you had mentioned all the way from the beginning of this interview of hope, because it means that there's this, there's this room for growth and improvement versus an attitude of defeat. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the really, the really interesting part and thing, and thing that needs infinite reminders is that we, we have the ability to choose. You know, you can choose, you really can choose how you want to see things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not necessarily that one is right and one is wrong. They're both just stories that we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. But insofar as that we have the ability to choose, we might as well choose the one that's going to empower us, that's going to improve us, and that's going to, you know, help us grow in a positive direction. Um, yeah. You know, even. Albert Einstein famously said, uh, the most important decision you'll ever make is whether you believe that you're living in a friendly or a hostile universe. So, you know, we now know from a neuroscience perspective that when you choose the friendly universe over the the hostile universe story, that it radically changes your your physiology, which can radically alter your health down down the line. And um, Viktor Frankl, who is, you know, famously... Uh, wrote the book *Man's Search for Meaning*. Famously, was in in a uh, uh, you know prison in, in World War II uh, in a concentration camp, and paradoxically, in that scenario, found that he could actually tap into and touch base with his his highest happiness, even in those circumstances. Um, he also really drives that point home, you know, and says that that man's last human freedom, as he puts it, is our ability to choose our own attitude in any set of circumstances, to to choose our own way. And um, yeah, I think, you know, he also famously said that uh, between stimulus and response, there's this space. And in that space, that's your freedom. So, um, you know, again, it really goes back to that. It's not just what's happening to you, to you or what you feels like it's happening to you, what's coming at you from the environment. It's how and why you respond. And again, just to bring it full circle, you have the power to choose that response, which is huge. Yeah. It is huge, which brings me to my question of what's next? So what's next for you? What's next for reorigin as we think about this continuous growth and learning? Yeah. So, you know, for, for me, it's, it's still practicing a lot of these things that I'm preaching because I'm getting more and more into them, the deeper, the deeper I go. And of course it's inspiring now to see other people following these, these steps and following this kind of work and, um, and getting great results for themselves. So to take your question very, very logically, what's next from there? When, when a person first, let's say, realizes their, their freedom and ability to choose and starts to honor that by, by practicing it over and over, the next thing that you want to do is start to condition that new response. So that's really, you know, I think at the, the basis of reorigin, it's yes, it's about understanding. It's about realization and it's about returning to your your healthy natural self but it's about also really doing that uh by your own hand through conditioning over and over again that new response that's more advantageous to feeling the way you want to feel which is like yourself again so um like we said, you know, going to the gym, it's not about what you do once. It's great to realize this, but it's about what you do repeatedly. And the very cool thing is that by doing this over and over and over again, eventually it gets to the point where you actually don't need to think about it. It happens automatically. So the same way you don't need to think about um, or you don't need to consciously remind yourself to, to ruminate over how, you know, that, that, that nervous memory or something, right. Those happen subconsciously. Mm -hmm. We can change those 
through intention, through intentionally practicing a new response, um, you're actually, we now know physically rewiring your brain so that it will default to the response that you want to experience, the one that makes you healthier, happier. And like we say, the one that makes you feel like you again. That's awesome. I love that. I love that. Well, Ben, I want to ask you a couple questions that just help yeah. to get my audience to know you a little bit better. And in the spirit of it, you know, throughout the month of January, I like to ask, given that it's a new year and we're, you know, in that space of growth and hope and innovation, um, if you had to choose a word for the year that would help you have more intention in the way that you want to live life and do things, what's a word that you would choose for 2022? Um, what comes to mind right now, because I'm thinking about my own sort of resolutions and, and you know, what I want to uh, get better at myself would be consistency. So just, again, exercising that freedom to, to choose in a way to consistently, you know, remind myself to, to keep choosing. Um, because I, I find it interesting now, like there's, the world is not very consistent, right? We're, we're getting bombarded with changing information every day. Things are changing so rapidly and so radically. And on a, on a personal level, you know, sometimes today's a much colder day than yesterday. Um, you know, two nights ago, I got a great night's sleep, but last night I didn't sleep so well. So there's mm -hmm. all of these things that are fluctuating. So, but I think to the degree that we can, we can remind ourselves to choose. Um, I want to get better about just being consistent with, with that choice and just keep reminding myself to, to keep practicing that. Um, because that's what over time will help to, um, yeah, just, just create the experience that, that we enjoy having. Yeah. I love that word consistency. That is great. Okay. What's something on your bucket list that you want to make sure you do in this lifetime? Oh boy, there's a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously travel and things come to mind. Um, but, uh, you know, I think while we're, while we're on topic, um, I would really love to, to, um, simplify all of these, these things, uh, that seem, and maybe perhaps are quite complex when you're learning them. Um, Reorigin is definitely a step in that direction and will continue to, to go in that direction and, and to evolve. Um, but I would really love to, yeah, just keep, keep going there and finding, finding more ways, maybe in the form of a book or something to further simplify and distill this message. Cause at the end of the day, I think it's, it's helpful, if not essential to understand these underlying mechanisms, but it's also important to understand that what you actually do about it is, is quite simple. Um, so yeah, maybe it might be like, you know, like alchemy or, or philosopher's stone trying to always search for that thing that you never quite get there. But I think for me, that bucket list thing is just converging on simplicity and, and finding ever simpler and more effective ways to help people. That's amazing. I love that. The alchemist is one of my favorite books. Too, oh, favorite book, favorite book by far. Yep. Paulo Coelho. So good. So good. So good. Um, okay, Ben, what's a self-limiting belief that you've had to overcome? Mm, great question. Uh, a really 
prominent one for me was that I um, was around not being smart or not being able to learn. So <laughs> this, this actually is a good example of, of neuroplasticity and, and how I overcame that self-limiting belief was uh, all throughout my experience of lower school, um, I was a really slow reader, slow learner. It was just very difficult for me to yeah, to read and comprehend. It felt like I was kind of rubbing my stomach and patting my head at the same time when I had to <laughs> read out loud to the class. I just couldn't, yeah. couldn't do it. And as a result of that, that resulted in, you know, um, getting some like extra tutoring and just all these beliefs of like, I'm a slow learner. That's the way it was. Um, and it wasn't actually until getting sick with Lyme disease when I was going to all these different doctors that at age 26 or 27, one of the doctors I went to was a, an eye doctor. And he did some, you know, simple tests. And he said, do you know that you have convergence insufficiency? And I said, what the heck is what that? Is that? <laughs> yeah. And um, he, he held out a pen and he said, focus on this pen. And I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't see, see the pen. And he moved it much further away. And then I could, I could see it. And then he started to move it closer again. And when it was like within two feet of my face, I, I would lose it. And he said, convergence insufficiency basically means that you, you know, you have a weak eye, eye muscle in the right side and your eyes aren't able to, you know, converge on, on the page and, 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 you know, hold your attention there or hold your gaze there. And I said, huh, well, would that make it harder to read? And he said, I'm surprised you could even see the words on the page. And I was like, oh, well, huh, like if, if I'm like exerting all this extra energy to keep my eyes on the page, would that make it harder to comprehend what I'm reading? He's like, yeah, it would make it almost impossible to do those two things at the same time. And I was like, oh, the, the, the rubbing the stomach and the patting the head thing. So obviously my next question is, well, if this is an eye muscle problem, you know, and I was into health and fitness at, at the time, can I train this? Can I strengthen this muscle? Um, and he said, yeah, it's, you know, you can do these exercises. They're called pencil pushups. And he showed me how to like, just focus on the tip of a pen and move it a little bit closer, a little bit further away. Um, and just do this over and over. And he said, within two weeks, you know, the muscle will be strengthened up. Sure enough, I did it. <laughs> and within two weeks I could read without effort. I went to uh, Columbia university and took a speed reading course that they offered on the weekends. I tripled my reading speed, but most importantly, I shattered that belief that I had, that had formed as a kid that I was a slow learner. And then I started just tearing into, you know, <laughs> learning all these things and going back, learning mathematics and stuff that I was never particularly good at. Um, mm -hmm. But mostly because I, I held myself back from getting into those things, thinking that I didn't have the the mental capacity to, to do it. When in fact, it turned out to be this simple optical issue. Yeah. And it's incredible because we are truly our own worst critics. I find it fascinating that sometimes the self-limiting belief that comes up in your perception, in the perception of someone else, it's actually a strength or something that they admire about you. Because the moment that you said that you weren't smart enough, the first thing I thought of when you started speaking was how smart you are, you know, because of how knowledgeable and how committed and how how much you have perseverance to learn and study, you know, and, and grow to the point of not just helping your own situation, but to being able to help others, you know? So it's, it's fascinating how this perception that you have of you, someone else sees it as something that you shine you know, in, but you have to do your own work to recognize that 
about yourself is like, oh, you know, there's these little tweaks and things that I need to do. And by doing that and conditioning myself in this way, I actually do see myself as capable and, and smart and able and, you know, all of those things. It's, it's a brain thing too, right? Like, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Those, those little <laughs> beliefs, however they form, um, the, the, the sad or silly part in a way is like when, when they stop us from taking action, like all those other things, you know, that I wanted to learn earlier in, in life, but didn't because I, you know, thought I was a slow learner. But what's great is that when you start to, you know, erode the foundation of these beliefs or, or, or merely start to question them yourself, um, all it takes is one counterexample. You know, all it takes is, is, is doing one thing one time to, disprove the belief to yourself and then the whole belief structure collapses and you're free. So, exactly. Yeah. Well, which brings me to my question of, well, then what is one of your superpowers? What do you see as a superpower of yourself? Hmm. Mm, good question. Um, I mean, apart from the thing that comes first to mind is, is the ability to heal. But I don't think that's unique. In fact, I know that's not unique to me. That's something that everybody has. Um, I, I would like to think that it is simplifying things that are complicated. Although sometimes I feel like when I'm talking, I make things sound more complicated than they might be. Um, but yeah, we'll go with that. Simplifying the complex. Yeah. Because neuroplasticity and everything that you had described, if you hadn't done it in such a way, I would still be probably here Googling all kinds <laughs> of different things, probably still will. But, um, but yeah, I think that's, that's really cool. Okay. So Ben, if there's, you know, a last piece of advice that you'd give to anybody that has decided to tune in, to take this hour, to learn something new, what would you say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say that, uh, if anyone's Anytime, if you're at all, at all experiencing a challenge, and I'll define challenge as just anything that gives you a feeling that's less than pleasant. So whether it's a physical challenge, a mental or emotional one, um, I would encourage you to just take a pause, take a, take a breath, take a little step back and realize that whatever you're experiencing is not you. It's not who you are. It's just... We now know if we go down the road of neuroplasticity, it's chemicals and neurochemicals that are being, you know, uh, circulated throughout your system. But when you take that breath, you take that pause, you allow that energy to flow. You actually allow those neurochemicals to run their course and to work their way out. So, you know, I think like you and I spoke of just before, there there is this immovable self. There is this this deeper sense of self that I truly believe, and it's certainly my experience that it's always there. We just sometimes lose access to it. The same way that the clouds cover the sun, the sun doesn't go away. It's still there. We just sometimes don't feel it as as brightly as we normally do. So if anyone is experiencing anything like that, can be you know an anxiety or depression or, or or anything else, I just want you to take that pause, take that step back, realize that you didn't go anywhere. You're still there, and you can absolutely reconnect with it. Yeah. That's awesome, Ben. Okay. So how can people reach you? You know, I, I know I've been inspired by you and I know other people have, how can they connect with you? Yeah. So the best way is, is through, uh, social media, um, reorigin underscore official is the 
Instagram for reorigin, or they can just visit the website re-origin.com. And there's a contact page there, which goes directly to my email. I check and respond to every email. So uh, that's, that's a great way if someone wants to get in touch and learn more. That's incredible. Oh, I, I, I didn't know that there was so much to learn <laughs> about Lyme disease and our brain and, and everything. So I'm very grateful for this time that you've spent. And I hope that others have learned something new today too. So I just appreciate the time that you've taken. It's been amazing. Thank you very much, Des. It's, it's been amazing to, to join you here. And, and I'm so uh, appreciative for you, you know, giving this, this platform and hosting such a great conversation. Thank you. I learned so much from today's episode with Ben Ahrens. He is brilliant. To hear him talk about his limiting belief, self-limiting belief at one point being that he wasn't smart enough blows my mind because clearly he is an incredibly intelligent person and I am very blessed to have learned more about Lyme disease and about our ability to change our brain patterns and to influence our neurological pathways to do the things that are actually going to serve us even better in a similar way to what we do with our physical bodies and uh, with our minds. It's incredible. So I've had reflection, you know, from this episode and it's actually my birthday weekend. So thinking about this time perhaps is even more reflective, uh, much like somebody reflects at the end of a year when you were at the end of 2020, I'm sorry, like <laughs> taking us way back at the end of 2021, thinking about everything that was ahead of you in 2022, you know, now we're almost a month in, right? three weeks in or so. And my reflection is around change and how despite how difficult it may be, how positive it can be in our lives and how healthy it can be, although we resist it because of its discomfort I think I had talked about change when I interviewed Akash Borsh uh, when he was a consultant and does change management and I do change management too. And it's, it's, it's amazing though, because even though it is something that you do for your job that you get paid to do, it interestingly is a challenge in life when, when you're facing it. But when I'm thinking of the reflection of the episode with Ben is the positive aspect of how you can take a conditioning that you've had, whether it's a self-limiting belief or something that you just haven't put that much effort into, or you've avoided what can happen when you actually give it different attention. So my ask of you today, as you're listening to the closing of this episode, is to think about your life and the areas of your life and what positive change you can make today to influence the trajectory of that thing, whether it is a relationship with a partner with a child, with a parent, with a friend, with a colleague, 
whether it is a self-limiting belief, whether it's something that you're thinking of pursuing, whether it is a habit that you are wanting to build, whatever it is, what is something that you can do to influence positive change? I think about all the small things that Ben did to change the trajectory of his Lyme disease from being completely devastating to doing different things that now brings him to the present, brings him more calm, brings him better function by learning how to breathe and developing the process that he did through reorigin. We have the ability every day to change our circumstances, but there's a commitment that we have to make from within to do that. And I'm hoping in this next year, after I've just celebrated a birthday two days ago, uh, that I can embrace change and appreciate the positive things of what it means for myself and for those around me. And I hope that you can too. Okay. I'll get off my emotional little box there. (laughs) I hope that you're having a wonderful, wonderful day. If you found inspiration from this episode or any episode of this podcast, do me a favor. First of all, make sure that you're subscribed. That's how we get people here. That's how we get attention and share it. The power of sharing, the power of caring, the power of community. I can't tell you how much it is what it does for, you know, us as individuals and, and how it can really raise us up to come together because there is a strength in numbers. There is power in that. So please share, please share and change someone's day and give them hope and give them inspiration because I know Ben certainly gave me that today. Thank you for tuning in. Remember that you are your only limit. So take action today. See you next time.